Well, greetings from Arizona. Go Suns. I want to put that out there. Go Michael Jordan, but go Suns. You know, it's an up and down year, but we're going to get there. Uh, yeah, I just want to, before I begin, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 15. We're going to be camping out there this morning. But before we begin, let me rush to honor Pastor Hayden. I don't know if you know this, but you have like one of the best pastors of all time. Do you know that? Talk about a goat. There's a lot of pastors I know that know of other pastors, and whenever I ask, hey, do you know this guy? There's typically, yeah, I like him, but you know what I'm saying? Like, but he does this and he does that. If I ever mention Haydn, there is nothing but praise, and that is the greatest guy I know, and he honors everybody in the room. I'm telling you, you have something special here, and I know it bleeds through your whole leadership, um, but uh, just being around Haydn, there's an anointing about him, and thus I know even just being here this morning, there's an anointing to your church. And I feel the spirit in the room in a way that other places don't have. And we don't say that to rejoice, but we just say, you're a leader and we want to follow you and what you guys are doing. So I just want to say thank you. It's, I've been wanting to be in this room for seven years. And so I'm so glad to be here with you guys today. So Pastor Hayden has been leading you guys through a series called Momentum. Momentum. And you guys are defining momentum as a forward motion. And so we went with that for the Rise Weekend. The whole theme was momentum. We've been talking about what does it look like to go forward with Jesus. And so just to catch you up real quick, we've been saying how Jesus is our rabbi. The only way to go forward is to submit to Jesus as a rabbi. Now, a rabbi is not just a teacher. It's a whole way of life. I mean, it's, it's your university. It's, it's who you look to to become just like. And the Hebrews would call this phrase Talmudim. We call this disciple or student or more common language follower. And so we've been asking the question, what does it look like to actually become a follower of Jesus, to, rap, uh, to mimic every part of our rabbi's life? And so we've been telling our students every session, here's the key. We can go forwards with four words. And we saved the last word for you in this house, but we need to go forwards with four words. Here's the four words and how to become a follower. First of all is Jesus. He's our hero it's our joy to imitate him. Everything is about Jesus. Jesus is better. Amen. But not only that, now his leadership. The key idea we had on Saturday morning is, hear me, if we pick and choose what to follow, we have a faith that's fake and hollow. Is Jesus your actual leader or not? You can't pick and choose. We're either all in or all out. Jesus says, you're either for me or against me. He's our leader. He defines reality, and we say, your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Is he your leader this morning? Yes, last night we talked about love. We have to recognize to follow a rabbi is to realize that he loves us. We are defined. Our identity is grounded in his love. The key phrase last night was, your vision of God's love determines the version of your life. You want to know how well your life's going to go. What do you think about when you think about God's love? When God looks at you, what is the expression on his face? We're here to tell you some good news this morning. Because of the gospel, his face is smiling down on you when you've received the blood of Jesus. And that's what Pastor Hayden talked about last week, the blood. Amen? So tonight, oh, sorry, today, it's been a long weekend. Today, we're going to look at lifestyle. We saved that one for this house. Now hear me, we can't go forwards with three words. 
You can't go forwards with two words. It don't rhyme like that. What we have to do is you got to go forwards with four words. And so the fourth word, you can't leave this out. And my proposition to you this morning is this is the one most of us as Western Christians delete. And we try to make our Christian life work with these three. And it just don't work. Let me show you this Venn diagram quickly. We've been kind of wrestling through this in the life of our church. I'm also a church planter at Passion Creek, uh, and so we have been wrestling through. This is like our idea of discipleship. And let me just explain this to you briefly. This is a Venn diagram, and we think this right here is where momentum really is, right here in the sweet spot when you have his love, his lifestyle, and his leadership. What happens, though, if you refuse to submit to his leadership? Let's say you love that he loves you, and you want to walk in his lifestyle, but you don't give him the full reign over your life, you will be stubborn. You'll miss out on God's invitation to more because you are too stubborn to believe it. Some of us, we've been hearing this series about momentum for a couple uh, weeks, months, I don't know how long you've been going through it, right? But your stubbornness is keeping you from that momentum. Submit to his leadership. But then also, some of us... Because of upbringing, wounds, our perception of what a father is, we cannot submit to his love. We just can't imagine Jesus actually loving us. So some of us have been trying to earn our salvation still. We've been trying to make ourselves lovable. But hear me, what you will find, you will have a life that is stingy. You can't give away because you are so worried about getting more for you. You have a scarcity mentality instead of a mentality of abundance. You're stingy with your tithe. You're stingy with your time. You're stingy with your talents because you want to make sure you're loved. How can I love someone else if I'm not loved? You're here to say, man, we love because he first loved us. Amen? There's no reason to be stingy. And I don't, when I think of walk church, stingy is not the word. I'm so grateful for that. But here's the last one that has changed my life. I've grown up in a church. I'm a fourth-generation pastor. Pray for me, Right? And so I've known about his love and his leadership. Leadership, I love theology. I love learning with the head. I'm all about that. Love, I need to remember forgiveness and acceptance. I'm all about that. But for so long, I never understood lifestyle because I was so worried I was earning my salvation. I was so worried to do because Christianity is done. So what does that even mean? So I really neglected my lifestyle. And so I grew up in Christ, and there was a lot of great things I was hitting, but I wound up finding myself being stuck because there were key areas in my life, habits in my life, that I didn't push through and change, and it kept me from momentum. Right? I found victory. I knew the gospel, but I couldn't find a way to actually rest. I understood joy, I knew how to define it, and I knew that Jesus wants it for me, but I didn't embody it on a daily basis. And it was because I didn't allow the gospel, Jesus, to influence my lifestyle. So we're going to get unstuck this morning, amen? You feel that? You believe in faith we're going to do that? I love this church because you talk back, that's what I'm talking about. This ain't no monologue, it's a dialogue. Let's pray together. Father God, we just ask you that you would would present this lifestyle as an invitation to abundance and grace. God, the enemy for so long has used this topic of lifestyle to tie it to legalism, 
to tie it to the Pharisees. But God, that is not your way. This is, this is an invitation to more of your love and not less. And so, God, we just ask you that this morning, whether there's a new believer in the house, a non-believer in the house, or somebody who's been following you for a long time, I pray that there would be something here that would get them unstuck and release them into momentum and in following you. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says? Amen. Amen. Have you noticed how your momentum stops between what you know and what you do? You feel that? That process in discipleship where you understand something, but yet you still have yet to do it in your daily life. At my church in Arizona, I don't know about you, Pastor Hyden, but in my church, there's a lot of ladies at our church on Instagram posting health stuff 24-7. Anybody else in the house doing that? I'm not throwing shade at all, but it terrifies me. I remember a couple months ago, I was watching, going through Instagram, watching the ladies of my church post all these facts, and there was these two items they said are just the worst thing for you. They said, number one, you shouldn't have candles because candles is like the new secondhand smoke, and I'm freaking out reading it while my candle is going at the moment of me reading it thinking, no! Like, that's how I start my morning with Jesus. It's coffee, light the candle, ah, and then I read. Like, that's not going to work without the candle. And then they said something even worse. They said, and you don't even want to get me started on Pop-Tarts. Apparently, I mean, who thought Pop-Tarts were healthy? But I think it would kill you within a week. But according to this post, candles and Pop-Tarts, man, it's the next thing. It's the new drug, and it'll kill all of us. And I'm thinking, oh, no! But I'm never, I gotta eat breakfast fast. What am I gonna do? And so I remember in the moment, literally, I had my Pop Tart in my hand and the candle going as I'm reading the Instagram story, thinking, okay, I'm done. I told my wife, we're done with the Pop Tarts, no more Pop Tarts. And I said, the candles, the healthy ones are way too expensive. So I guess we're just done with candles. And so I threw that one away. And I said, I'll never do that again because I just want to live a good life. I got three girls. I want to see them live life. Faith, uh, Selah, and Trinity, they're the cutest girls ever, so I'm in trouble. And so I got so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this unhealthy thing. Literally, three days later, I'm eating a Pop-Tart. <laughs> and conveniently, when I finished the second one, I remembered, oh, no. I made a commitment, a vow, to never have a Pop-Tart again. And I look over and another candle is lit. And I, I'm like, three days, I've already lost all willpower. I am back into this unhealthy lifestyle. Hear, hear me, one of the greatest misconceptions of our modern age is the belief that our only problem is a lack of knowledge. See, as we exponentially increase in our, in our information and technology, society reasons we will progress toward utopia. How's that working, though? <laughs> that doesn't account for the evil and brokenness we still see in even the most educated regions of the world. Even in church, we typically approach discipleship to Jesus as information transfer. Like what I'm doing right now, I sense the irony. A phrase we say, and I think it's partially true, but I have learned to think it's not fully true. Change your mind, change your life. That sounds amazing. It doesn't work for me. I can tell you right after I sinned why it was bad. I can tell you before I sinned why it was bad, and I still did it. 
I can give you the theological treatise why this is the worst thing to do. And yet, I still find myself doing it. You ever feel that gap, that momentum stopper between what you know is right and your failure to actually do what is right? And this bothers me. I'm on a journey of becoming more like Jesus. That's my life goal. Got a long way to go. But that's my life goal, and my life goal is to bring my church along that journey. And so here has been my formula, what I think we need to go through to get towards that full transformation. It's here on the screen. Number one, you first need to know what's right. And this is theology. And so some of you are in the room. You just, it's great. You just need to start with the mind, honestly. You need to start with the Bible. There's a lot to learn here. And there is a step-by-step, don't worry about other people's journey Worry about yours, consider yours. Everybody's at a different part of the journey, and that's what makes the church so beautiful. Amen? So it's you know what's right, and then the next step in this journey is you want to do what's right. It's this beautiful thing about the gospel is we have a new heart, and so you have maybe even noticed it yourself. Your desires are changing. You start to follow Jesus, and you begin to love the things that God loves, and you begin to hate the things that God hates, and then... This beautiful thing happens where you begin to do what is right. And this is this momentum that I think is a beautiful invitation to actually getting unstuck. But even as I know this process, I don't know about you, but as I lead people, they're still stuck. They cannot figure out how to get from here to here to there. As a pastor, I'm thinking, how do I bring people on this journey to get them there? And so I think the Apostle John has a word for us in John 15. So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to John 15. John 14 through 17 is called the Farewell Discourse. It's his last words before getting crucified. But then, spoiler alert, he raises again on the third day. Amen. And he brings us victory over sin, Satan, and death. And three of you are with me on that, and I love it. And so Jesus knows he's moments away from being crucified, and so he speaks those final words. In John 14, um, Jesus really begins to unpack the power of the Holy Spirit. We also have that line in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But now in John 15, he transitions, and now he goes to an illustration, what I believe is how momentum is truly generated. He even has this line, apart from Christ, Like, you're done before you even began. There is no momentum without Jesus. Amen? And that's why we're leaning in today. Let's look at verse 1. I am, this is Jesus' words, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. May that be an encouragement to you already this morning. Man, if you're in a pruning season, he's just getting you ready for even more momentum. That's why we told our students on Friday night, man, forwards isn't always upwards. We want you to go forwards, but man, pruning, it feels like it's downwards for a while. But you're always leaning in, going forward. And you, uh, verse 3, are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, Jesus knows his crowd. I think he's not only a beautiful savior, but he's a brilliant teacher, the greatest teacher of all time. And he knows he's in an agrarian culture. And so he looks at the vines and the branches, and he says, okay, this is a perfect illustration to communicate to you a spiritual reality. Now, I believe if Jesus were here today, he'd probably look at a power strip and say, I'm the power strip, and you're the lamp that plugs into it. 
And here's the thing about power strips and lamps. You can't just lay the cord right next to the power strip. You, you won't get any power. Even if you're kind of near it, it don't work. You got to be fully committed. You got to go four words with all four words. You hear me? You got to commit. You got to go in. You got to be fully connected. That's why you have charge groups. Okay, I'm done. You're like, you know what I'm saying? Power strip. Come on, somebody. You got to plug in. All right, look, look at verse four. Remain in me, other translations say, abide in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable. Anybody feel that? Even though you want to. If your lamp is not fully connected, it don't matter how much energy you think you have. You got nothing. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains, abides, dwells in me, and I in him produces, oh, look at that momentum, much fruit. You have no idea what kind of fruit is coming. Because you can do, just to make sure you know, just to humble you, you can do nothing without me. All right, Jesus, but that's a little hard. It's a little harsh. I can't do nothing. Nothing that will count for eternity, right? This word remain or abide, I know it's really deep into the culture of your church. I imagine John 15 has been preached several times, so my apologies. But I actually don't apologize. We need that every week, amen? But this word dwell, theologians kind of call this, uh, the theological term is called synergism. Say that with me, synergism. One more time, synergism. It was a hard word to repeat, I get it. But with synergy, it's this idea, and this is so hard for us, and there's debates on what, there's so much to this, but, but, but real basic, what happens with abide is God wants to produce power in your life, but there's still something you have to do too. It's synergy, right? Something about God, he loves to be invited into a room. There's something about God where he loves to see you take a next step and then that power comes. It's called synergy. It's not 50-50. It's not 50% you doing the power and then Jesus kind of helps the last 50%. I think it's like 99 to 1, but you still need the 1 before the whole 99 works. Remain, abide, dwell. This is the invitation for our daily life. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not remain, dwell, that synergy in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Whoa, whatever you want. You'll notice your desires change. You're going to ask the right things when you're plugged in. When you remain in him, your heart becomes his. Your desires become his own. So he's happy. I think Dallas Willard, he has some sort of line where he says, he wants to get you to the point of Christian maturity. Well, he will give you whatever you want, whatever you ask. Because your hearts are completely aligned. That's the goal of discipleship. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. What is fruit, though? Have you thought about that? What is fruit? Fruit, I believe, is internal and external. Fruit internal, I believe, is the fruit of the Spirit. This is Galatians 5. It's things like love, joy, and peace. If I am looking at my life, I actually first count it by who are people closest to me. How do I love them? You notice the people closest to you, it's actually typically the people you're worst to. 
You notice that? It's like, why did I yell at my daughter? I love her the mostest. And I've never yelled at homeboy who I actually kind of don't like anyways. What is that here? So my barometer is not, am I nice and joyful and peaceful to strangers? No, I'm too much of a prideful, egotistical person. I want them to like me, so I'm going to act like I'm good. But with my family, am I embodying joy and love and peace? Is this a safe home? Man, when people are around me, do they want to lean in a little bit more? Do they not want to go away because they feel something? That's internal fruit. And I pray that that character change is happening in your life. It's so much of God's work. But hear me, there's a 1% where you got to lean in to, to get it. But then you have external. And this is fruit of the Spirit. Now you have gifts of the Spirit. I think fruit is exercising the gifts that God has given you. There's wisdom in this house that God has blessed us with. There's counsel, there's prophecy, there's miracles. Come on, somebody. There's prayers of faith. It's changing people's futures. It's having conversations with strangers. That's fruit. It's what you see happening at this church. Fruit. And this is the invitation God has for us. And I don't know a single Christian who doesn't want that. But how come we don't get it? Don't we follow that process? Oh, okay. Like, I know what's right. I'm coming every week to hopefully want to do what's right. And then, man, I'm a super Christian. I do what's right. <laughs> and yet we're not there. And for years, by the way, I never preached the next two verses. I love to finish this passage here because it's comfortable. It's inspiring. The next two verses, though, is where the money is at. Let's look at verse 9 together. Verse 9 says, as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. What? Think about it. Like, I, I know God loves me, but like the same energy that God loves Jesus, Jesus loves me. What? Talk about good news. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, man, because of the cross and resurrection. It is announced. It is done. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. It doesn't matter what you do in the future. When you receive that blood, Jesus loves you with the same energy that God loves Jesus. Come on. That should make us rejoice. So because of that, I as also love you, remain, abide in my love. Okay, I get it, Jesus, but how do I do that? Look at verse 10. This is when most of us go, we don't know what to do with this. Because then he says, if you keep my commands. What? I thought this whole love thing had nothing to do with me, like, earning my salvation. Like, I'm terrified to preach this. Hold up. If? What do you mean, if? Is that a Greek uh, error there? Is uh, if actually supposed to be translated then? Like, what is... What is happening here? If you keep my commands, you will re remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, I thought Christianity wasn't due. It's done. So what does this mean if you keep my commands? See, Jesus is teaching here a critical lesson on lifestyle. Lean in. Look, we usually miss this. Write this down. Keeping his commands doesn't earn me God's love but it churns me to God's love. Amen. See that? Keeping his commands does not earn it. <laughs> Jesus did that for you. But it does churn you open to it. His love is always on offer. The question is, on a daily basis, even with our bodies, will we churn to it to receive it? 
my life changed by this one line. I don't have it on the screen, but it's really easy to remember. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians, philosophers, he has this line that wrecked my life. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You got to know that difference, y'all. Grace is not opposed to effort. Man, you want to talk about abide, remain? That takes work. If you keep my commands, he's saying, you want my love? It's going to take some energy on your end. It's going to take that synergism. It's going to take some effort. But hold up. You're going to miss out on the whole thing if you think it's you earning his love. That ain't it at all. It's you churning to his love. And that is a game changer. This completely rewired the way I viewed the Christian life. In the last four years, I've actually changed my formula. I mentioned to you in the beginning, here's the three-step process. Number one, you know what's right. Go ahead and go on the next stream. Perfect. Number two, you want to do what's right. And then number three, you do what's right. So I have been on this journey of knowing what's right and then thinking, God, please change my desires. Help me here. So I really just want to always do what's right because if I want to do it, then I'll do it. Wrong. I've learned this ain't, man, when this is your formula, you'll have no momentum. Let's look at the next slide. Let's flip these last two. You know what's right. You do what's right. And then you want to do what's right. What? This is the process of discipleship. This is what we're calling you into. You got to know it, but then you got to do it before you even want it. And God is looking for people who are willing to do it before they want it. And then your heart begins to change, and you'll hit that perfect momentum where you are wanting what you are doing. But you got to do that first. This is why Paul uses training language so often. 1 Corinthians 9 will be on your screen, verse 24 through 27. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. That doesn't mean you just wake up on race day and run. No, you train, brother. Some of y'all, you train by not eating Cheetos in the morning, right? Or Pop-Tarts, huh? Some of you, okay, I got to go from mile four to mile seven. But there is a training. Everyone has a next step with Jesus. There is a training environment. Look, now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Man, I want to train for something that'll last forever. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. We had a boxer at the thing last night. I was terrified around him. I thought, let's, let's be nice to this guy. No, he's an incredible guy. I'm like, come on, somebody. Yeah. He said, instead, I also took a picture with him doing like this. Like I was like a boxer too. Like, come on. Anyways, so instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. What? This is Paul who's all about grace. Grace by faith. What is? But now he's telling me I have to discipline my body. I have to be strict with it. I have to control it so that why? After preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that I can remain in Christ, so that his power can still be momentum. It can be flowing going forward through me. Here's the key idea I want us to lean in on. You ready? 
Our desires are determined by our habits, not our happenstance. One of the biggest lies of our culture today, the heart wants what it wants. I just happen to want that, so now I have to do it. You know what's so funny? The heart just wants what it wants. Have you heard that phrase before, anybody? It's so famous today. Did you know where that, famous was first, where that line was first uttered? By Woody Allen. Defending himself why he married his stepdaughter. And yet we go, the heart wants what it wants. That was Woody Allen's justification. Yeah, no other. He's just, I don't know. The heart just wants what it wants. So when she turned 19, we made it official. When he was like 60 or something. Ugh. Right? Come on, Woody. Look, our desires are determined by our habits, not our happenstance. It is not a coincidence the majority of Gen Z are doubting their sexuality while their grandparents rarely ever did. It's not something in the water. It's not some random weird happenstance. It's the world training us through the habituation of our minds, the habituation of our hearts, and the habituation of our hands. They're hearing a certain message. They see a picture of the good life every day on social media. How are they going to defend against that if we don't talk about habits? Our desires are determined by our habits. Hear me. What you do does something to you. What you do does something to you. For years, I may offend half of you. I don't think so. This might be my crowd here. But for years, I hated country music. Anybody like country music? I'm just more of like a, just not that guy. I think almost every other genre I'm in on. But my wife, she loves country music. For me, country music's just depressing. It's about all the things that we've lost, you know? And it's like, oh, can you, man, and... It's even this one song that's famous right now. Man, I love this truck. It's only got 20,000 miles, but I got to sell it because it reminds me of my girlfriend who just broke up with me, right? It's, it's like, it just doesn't seem like really mature people writing these lyrics. I just don't view these people as heroes, you know? So anyways, but I love my wife. And my wife loves country. I mean, she loves it. She wishes I was a cowboy, but whatever. So as a sacrificial husband... When we are riding together, she's the DJ. And I let her pick whatever she wants. You know what she picks? <laughs> you know? And every time, every time she picks country. And what I don't even like, I'm like a George Strait Garth Brooks fan. I can roll with those guys. It's these new guys who are like trying to rap. It's like country and rap equals crap. Um, and so... <laughs> Come on. Are you allowed to say that at church? I don't know. But so two months ago, though, we get in the car. Something happened. I'm driving and I'm like, I'm singing along. It's, I'm, so she plays a song and it's like, hey, it's Carolina, tales, California. Maybe. And then she looks at me singing and I go, I'm like, you saw nothing. Let's just, where are we going, you know? Next day, I wake up. 
Maybe she'll fall for a boy from South Georgia. She's got the bar in the palm of her hands. She's not his country fan like I am. Hey, uh, I'm like, what is happening to me? No! For nine years, I fought the good fight. I said, every time she turned on the radio, what? oh, yeah, yeah, sure, Tim McGraw, uh, you know, and then now... Last week, I got in the car. I said, hey, babe, you can be the DJ. You wanna... I'm, I'm not suggesting anything, but can you play that one song by Sam Hunt or something? I don't know what his name is. Let's just roll that thing. What is happening? Oh, our habits shape our hearts. Now, this is in the positive and the negative. Like country music, you play that stuff long enough, you're going to like it. Like coffee. Right? There's something about how God wired us where we do it long enough and we develop an appetite for it. My youth pastor, quickly, my youth pastor, he would always tell me, Proverbs 4.23, son, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. And I kept thinking, how do I do that? Because the heart wants what it wants. I can't help but like this thing over there. I can't help but like that girl over there. What do you mean, guard your hearts? Oh, you want to guard your heart? Guard your habits. And that's how you guard your heart. See, some of us haven't practiced the presence of God long enough to even make it a passion. Last year, I asked Pastor Hyden, how he pulls off this prayer night. Like, what? Every week? You know what his answer was? We just show up. That's habits. You just show up. I guarantee you that walk right now has a deeper desire for prayer than when they first started it. Amen? And what's the principle he knew? Habits shape your heart. You want to start enjoying that prayer night? Go for a year. And it'll eventually sink in. Is that the kind of person you want to become? Sure. But all of us are waiting till we want to do it. You'll never get there. Do it. Then you'll want it. Lean in. So I want to give you just a real practical invitation as, as we're concluding. What are some habits that you and I can begin to shape? I, I want us to become people of the way of Jesus, where we embody love, joy, and peace, where we are imparting our gifts to the world. And there are certain habits that are keeping that momentum from fully leaning in. Number one, I want to encourage you to design your digital life. Look, our directions determined by design or by default. By default, Silicon Valley has you on your phone way more than you should. Social media companies, literally all they're buying for is your attention. And they're doing everything they can to keep you on as long as possible. The news uses fear to keep you plugged in, to keep watching, so you keep watching their commercials and keep racking up the revenue. Have you not noticed the digital world is designed to keep you thirsty, to keep you coming back? Hear me, the quickest way to corruption is to be careless with consumption. How are you consuming the digital world? The quickest way to corruption is to be careless with consumption. 
and the digital life we just consume and we don't even think about how the digital world is shaping us into becoming people, not love, joy, and peace, but of fear, anger, and hatred, or just distracted. Design your digital life. Can I invite you to abstain for a block of time every day? Success is going to look different for everyone, but for me, I call it 510 to win. So 5 a.m. to 10 a.m., I am not on anything digital. I am like a monk. I am just like, not with a candle anymore, but you get, I am just fully in, doing nothing in the digital world. 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., I'm, I call it 510 for them. I'm not on my phone because I'm present with my family. I'm present with my group. I'm present with my church. I am engaged. And I have found it has begun to mold me into a person I want to become. Design your digital life. What does it look like for you? This week, figure out what can you abstain from. The second invitation I want to give you is to design your devotional life. All y'all are waiting to want to read your Bibles. It ain't going to happen. Read your Bible, and then you're going to want it. Hear me. Reading your Bible, this is what a huge unlock for me. Reading your Bible is not about marking off tallies for God. It's about marking out time with God. Design that devotional life. It's not about marking off tallies. It's marking out time. So set a time limit. Okay, every day this week, I'm giving God 15 minutes. And if God wants to take it further, come on. But I'm giving you at least, God, 15 minutes. I'm turning everything off. I got an alarm over there. When that alarm goes off, then I'll worry about what I'm doing the rest of my day. But I'm setting a 15-minute timer, and I'm engaging in your word. Hear me. It's less about a reading plan, and it's more about a reading pace. If you put 15 minutes a day, you're going to get that thing done in a year. Lean in. Recognize. Guard your habits. And that will guard your heart. The last one. Design your dinner life. We best mimic our Messiah when we are intentional with our meals. How are, you, how are you using dinner to love the sinner? I tell my people at my church all the time, look, at our church, we don't make demonstrations out of people. We make dinner for people. Hebrews says there is something sacred that happens when we pull out the plates bring people over for a meal. No agenda. The agenda is them. This quote, I love it from Pastor Vince Antonucci. He has this. He says, if you're not close to people who are far from God, you're not as close to God as you think you are. Because God's heart is always with people who are far from him. You know what people far from God still like? Food. Bring them over. Get hospitable. For me and my family, once a week, absolutely no excuse. We're having somebody over for dinner. Every Friday night, that's how we kick off, our, kick off our Sabbath. Every Friday. Now, by the grace of God, we have what you call charge groups on Tuesday nights. Guess what? We're having dinner with our family then with those friends. There's something powerful. Friends, even just these, these three movements, your digital life, your devotional life, your dinner life will begin. That is how you can begin to shape your lifestyle and you can go forwards with those four words. Jesus wants to empower you. He wants to pour his love on you. 
and he is not asking you to earn his love. What he's asking you, even with your actual body, is to turn to his love. What does that look like for your life? And how can that start this week? Let's pray. Father God, I'm so grateful for this invitation you've given us. God, in reality, this invitation to engage in this lifestyle is is so meaningful. It gives us purpose. It gives us direction. It, It allows us to enjoy purpose with you. So God, I just pray that we would receive this message with grace. God, I pray for the person in the room who's been so frustrated because they've been trying to do what's right, but their desires keep pulling them elsewhere. God, as, as 1 Peter 2 says, uh, Jesus, uh, 1 Peter 2, Peter says, abstain from your over-desires, abstain from your sinful desires. And God, give us the power, even though our desires are, seem so split. We, we want to honor you, but we also want to engage in the false promises of this world to, to stick with some sins. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to empower us through our habits, to, to abstain from those desires. Those God, may we, ah, Lord, may we kill those cheaper desires so that we can be filled with deeper desires, more meaningful desires, Lord, that are pointed to you. God, I pray for freedom at Walk Church. Freedom in their walk. Step by step is not a metaphor. Help us see that, God, that's a reality. And may we begin to ask you what to do with our own bodies to glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.